Last week, we looked at verse 1, thinking about the body and the resurrection and how we give our bodies in, in God's worship. And uh, this week, we're going to look at verse 2. And then this evening, we'll look at verses 3 to 8, about how we live together as a community as of Christians. But let's just read the first two verses. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I feel that I say this probably far too much, but um, it's the great thing about the Bible. You can have a different favorite verse every week. And this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible just now. I, it's this, and I oft, often say this as well, but this is true. If you grasp this, then your whole life is transformed. Whatever issue you're facing right now, and let's just say every one of us was able to, suppose you had a wee screen in front of you and you're able to tap in, this is my problem. And then I was like some kind of guru and you were sending me all these problems and I was saying, okay, you know, answered them all just like that. Um, you think, wow, well, I'm not a guru and I can't solve my own problems, never mind any of yours, so just keep them to yourself. Uh, it's, that, that's not how life works. But I will tell you this, if you grasp this, then there is just, it, it, it transforms and revolutionizes your life. So, Let's go into this by asking just a couple of questions to start with, just about the general situation. You know, you ever feel the world's going mad? You know, there's, uh, there's loads of stuff I could list and you could list. And you think, are, are we crazy? Is the world going mad? Or maybe actually, maybe you're here as a visitor and you're not, you don't normally come to church and maybe you're here out of curiosity. And, and one of the things that you've sometimes thought or have been tempted to think is, do you know, Christianity, like all religions, is something that holds us back. If only we could get rid of, of this religious stuff, then humanity would be free and we would progress. Or maybe you're here and what you think is, I'm not thinking these big issues and big questions. I just want to be happy. I'm a Dundee fan. There's no chance for a long time. I just want to be happy. Sorry, Owen. <laughs> but I just want to be happy. It's good, isn't it, Owen, that we, we don't have our faith and trust in Dens Park or anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, you say, but here's the problem. If you just want to be happy, you make happiness your goal, you're never going to get it. You're never, ever going to make it. And that's why I think that this verse is so important in so many ways, because it concerns how we think. And that is essential. Just think about it this way. How you think impacts and affects everything. If you think, I am the greatest person in the world, that is going to impact how you treat other people because they're all lesser than you. If you think, I am the scum of the earth, you can, you can hardly bear to be in this place because you're meeting people and you think that you are so awful. If you are a pregnant woman, and you decide to walk into a church in Sri Lanka with a bomb and blow yourself up. What, what are you thinking? Why, why do you do that? It's because of what you think. It's not, I don't think it's because you're mad. I don't think it's out of impulse. You thought something and you act upon it. Sometimes you may have an issue where you think, you know, you may weigh seven stone and think, I'm far too fat. 
how you think really, really affects things. And, and for those of us who are Christians as well, how we think about God, how we, how we think about ourselves is hugely important. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Maybe another problem that we will look at as we look at this is that a lot of people think, or a lot of churches say this, imply this, that if only we could get society to think or to adopt more Christian morals, then it would be a whole lot better. But there's a problem with that because it it won't happen. So this verse is in the context, Paul just said that we've got to offer our bodies. And it's got to be a a logical, a, a logicos worship, a reasonable worship. And he's saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, this verse explains. By the way, as as a general principle when you come to worship, I know um, I used to do this wee tour for the schools in here. And we would go down to the Catholic church and we'd show the school the Catholic church and talk to the, the priests there and so on. And then we'd come up to the gate, the charismatics, and we'd talk to the people at the gate, and then we'd come here, the Calvinists. You see, we called it the three C's of Christianity, Catholics, Charismatics, and Calvinists. And uh, one of the teachers afterwards said to me, you know what he says, that's absolutely fascinating. He says, we took a vote of our kids, and we asked them which church they would go to if they did. None of them go to church. Which one would they go to? And I said, that's interesting. What did they say? He said, well, sorry for the Charismatics, but virtually none said we're going to go there. They said... This is, I'm just saying what they said. You know, this was, that's nuts. We're not doing that. They were split 50-50 between you and the Catholics. And I said, why? He says, well, you know what I think you've, you know I think you've got? He said, I think the Catholics have got the eyes, and I think the Charismatics have got the feelings, and I think you've got the mind. And he says, so half the kids who are really into aesthetic were going for the Catholics, and the other half uh, were going for you. And I thought about it, and I thought, that's... That's an interesting perception. I hope it's not true. I hope that um, charismatics and Catholics think as well. And I hope that, you know, Presbyterians occasionally have feelings uh, and and express joy in a very Presbyterian way. Um, I was very pleased standing at the back to see one or two of you even lifting hands almost to, to shoulder height. But I think a lot of people do think when it comes to the church or when it comes to a service, I want to go in and just make me feel Jesus. Just make me feel good. And that's like saying, just make me feel happy. And Paul says, no, you've got to think about this. And he he gives us two basic principles. These things don't just happen. In fact, in from chapter 12 uh, through to chapter 16 of Romans, they're very, very practical. Incidentally, in these chapters, at least 15 times, Paul mentions the teachings of Jesus. So when we're saying Paul says this, what we're saying is this is the teaching of Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit giving this to you. And he gives us two basic things. Number one is this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, what does that mean? We need to define what the term world means because, you know, I'd like to travel the world. We use the world in that sense of the physical globe. That's clearly not what it means here. Nor is it the world in the sense of the people of the world. Here, it is a mindset. It's a, it speaks of a, a mentality, a life organized and live without God. Secular in the worst sense. 
Secular is a really hard word to understand because we use it to mean uh, that the church isn't in control of the state, which is probably a good idea. In fact, it's definitely a good idea. But secular literally means without God. And the more militant secularists in our culture, that's what they want. They want a culture without God. They want a world without God. And that's what Paul is speaking about here, this mindset that is the world without God. And as in our culture, we move more and more towards that mindset in our public life, as well as very much in private and media life, Christians are going to find themselves non-conformist. We don't agree. So I was down at Abertay University and uh, giving a talk there, and we were discussing various things. And this guy stood up, and he was a wee bit eccentric. And he said, I'm pretty unusual here. I said, why? He said, I'm the only Trump supporter in the whole university. <laughs> and yeah, he was pretty unusual. <laughs> and he was probably right. And he stood out like a sore thumb, to be honest. And there's a sense, not that I'm equating Christians with Trump supporters, by the way. Uh, there's a sense in which what Paul is saying is, you're gonna, you, you don't conform to the way that the culture and society around you thinks in this pagan and culture society. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he uses the word in this way, the God of this world or the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We, I hope, more than anything, I hope this, that we see the glory of God in Jesus Christ when we come to worship. And not just when we come to worship, when we read God's word, that we will experience on a, a daily basis that. And yet, somebody might come in, someone may look and not see. They don't see. Why? Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Same word. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath or deserving of wrath. That's the worldly mindset. The worldly mindset is there is no God. I don't care. Couldn't be bothered. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm going to go for what I can get. I feel this, I want this, I'm going to have it. Now here's the thing that Paul is doing. He's addressing Christians and he's saying to Christians, don't you have that mindset? Which means that we can have it. And I suspect the biggest problem with those of you who are Christians here today, and I would say it is with me, is this, a worldly mindset. Now, be careful with this because this is jargon. I, I remember the wonderful Hector Cameron, the free church minister from the Black Isle, with a wonderful black isle accent and he had this most marvelous turn of phrase in prayer so many times you know like um, Lord forgive us for giving you the fag ends of our lives which is still my favorite phrase ever um, but he used to say this oh forgive us for the worldly world I was just thinking what's the worldly world what's the worldly world well it's kind of a mindset now it's not you know people you, you get churches that become quite legalistic in different things. I still think my favorite is the Pentecostal church in the United States that decided that having a red car was worldly. Green one was okay. 
but a red one, no. That was worldly. And various definitions of worldly were made. You know, so some of you may even have been brought up where you were told to go to the cinema was worldly. You know, you know the, the, the old story of the, the person who ordered a television and it, in Northern Ireland and this, this television came to their house and the package on the outside said, brings the world into your home. And they said, take it back. We don't want it. That's not what is meant by the world because here's the thing. You could be the most legalistic person in the world. You could say, that's worldly. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you could still have this attitude of the world because it's, it's about thinking. Chapter 5 of Romans talks about a world of sin and death. There is a worldly mindset which we are not to conform to. And this is not new in the New Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, you will see that the call in the Old Testament was for God's people not to conform to the world around them. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, about the Pharisees and the pagans, you know what he said? He said, don't be like them. Don't become like them. Barclay's comment on this, I think, is great. We are not to be like a chameleon which takes its color from its surroundings. You know what that's like? You go to work tomorrow, nobody knows you're a Christian. And I'm not saying that you have to wear a Christian t-shirt. But nobody knows you're a Christian because you blend in completely to the surroundings, so much so that there are no differences between you as, as the, and the people around you as far as they can perceive it in terms of values and elsewhere. When you're with Christians, you can be as Christian as you, as you like. When you're with non-Christians, well, you're going to be like them. And Paul says, no, don't do that. It's like in school. <clears throat> um, one of the worst things you have as a, a child is when you go to secondary school and you absolutely do not want to stand out. You don't want to be the kid that gets bullied. You want to blend in completely. So whatever is going, whatever is happening, you will fit in with. You will go along with. You are molded by it. Now sometimes, uh, at least in my school, uh, there were rebels who were different. They stood out. Some of them were a wee bit cranky uh, or weird. Um, but others were quite individualistic. But generally... The idea is we just go along with what everyone else says. And God says to us, no, no, don't be governed or molded by this world, not by the fashions of this world. I love uh, reading Lloyd-Jones on this because it's a different era, obviously, and he starts talking about um, worldly fashions and women's clothing and other things. And I would never, ever deign to give anyone advice on that, except he says this, Christian men and women should always be characterized by moderation. And I love this quote. He says, Christian cranks have always done more harm than good. Christians are men and women of moderation. So we're not to be squeezed or molded by this world. We instead are to be transformed. And what he's really saying is you need to live like a Christian. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this is where the difference between religion in its general sense and biblical Christianity comes most to the fore. Because what Paul is not doing, he's not talking about creating another set of rules. 
so that if you live by them, people would recognize you as being a Christian. Christians don't eat meat, or Christians wear this, or Christians don't do that. It's a bit like um, the Amish, who in many ways are to be admired, but the Amish distinctly set themselves apart from the rest of American society. You know, don't use a car, won't use electricity, and so on, because this is the modern world. And their justification is we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. And I think that's a big uh, mistake because this is saying that our thinking needs to be biblical. Now, what does that mean and why is it important? Okay, I'm not going to ask you. As I said, I'm not going to do this, if, if, even if I could. Um, but let's say right now, ask yourself this question. Do I have a particular problem I'm trying to deal with? Is it lust? Can't help but sometimes online pornography. Is it greed? I just can't help. Is it temper? Is it hatred for somebody? There are many besetting sins that we as Christians can and do experience. And what we're tempted to do is to say, right, I'm going to deal with this. So let's say that it was lust or something. You say, I, 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 I'm not going to think a lustful thought anymore. Really? How are you going to do that? It's like you say to somebody, someone comes and says, look, I need help with this, I need help with that. And you say, stop it, stop it, that's it, just stop it. Well, that's not how Jesus does it. He says... Be transformed. Be renewed in your minds. Get your thinking straight and the rest will follow. And Lloyd-Jones uses this illustration, which I think is really helpful. It's as though this besetting sin in front of you is a hurdle. And you're standing at the hurdle and you're looking at it and you think, how do I get over this hurdle? Well, what you need to do is you need to go back and then you take a run up and you can jump the hurdle. And what many of us try and do is we try and deal with specific sins in our own strength and we just can't get there and we get so defeated by that and so discouraged by that. I love um, the phrase, and there's a, the book as well, of Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. And what Chalmers teaches in that book is what is being taught here, that if you learn, if your heart gets changed, if your mind gets changed, if you love Jesus first of all, then these other desires are so much easier to control. In fact, it's the, it, the affection that you have for Jesus drives out these out. And that's why in Ephesians 4.23, Paul says, be renewed in your mind. So what is this to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? It's not cleverness. Again, uh, Lloyd-Jones, who I just found so helpful with this. You must, he's talking about um, people on television who are blaspheming and so on. He said, you must not say that these people who blaspheme and utter foul things on the television are unintelligent. That's not their trouble. The trouble with them is that they're almost devilishly clever. The trouble is not in their minds. It's in the thing that controls their minds. Paul is not saying, if only you were smarter and thought about it a bit more, then you'd be able to do all of this. He's saying your mind needs to be renewed. How you think needs to be renewed. And he uses a word that um, 
some of you will, will recognize, metamorphosis. It's a word that's only used in the New Testament in Matthew and Luke of the transfiguration of Jesus. Mark 9.2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. I think the only other place it's used is in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. And why does Paul use that very particular word, a very dramatic word, a very, uh, a, a very strong word? Because he's, he's not saying to people, right, just go and do a little bit of positive thinking, change your attitude, snap out of it. He's saying your mind needs to be metamorphosized. Sounds horrible. Your mind needs to be transformed. It needs to become like the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Now, that's one of the problems when people are teaching about sin and holiness is sometimes they present everything in such a negative way. When what Paul is doing here is presenting something that is wonderfully, wonderfully positive. He's saying, what we need to do is remind ourselves of who we are if we are Christians. We need to remind ourselves of the greatness of the gospel because we so easily forget. Remembering is absolutely essential to character. Remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. And I think of um, how in Second Peter, in chapter 1, Peter says this. He says, you've got to make sure, he says, you've got to add to your faith. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Isn't that a fantastic list? If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? You're a Christian, you feel you're ineffective, you feel you're unproductive. And Peter comes along and says, add this, 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 and this. And then he goes on to say this, but whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. See, Peter's not saying, now you go out and reform yourself, and you go out and deal with this problem. He's saying, you've forgotten who Jesus is. You've forgotten what he's done for you. Because if you hadn't forgotten, you wouldn't like these things. When you grasp, and that's why the preaching of the gospel is just so essential to us in terms of our Christian lives. He goes on, Paul goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, again, what he's not saying here is he's not saying, well, you are in a position where you sit in judgment upon God. Rather, what he's saying is this. Again, it's about our attitude. Why? Because human beings instinctively have wrong thinking about God. Here, we're told the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. But let's be honest. Many of us often feel it's not. It's, it's, it's bad. We struggle against that. So uh, Romans 8, earlier in verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if, the deed, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Here's the thing. 
People hate the law of God. Religious people make up their own laws. Secular humanists think that, they, that the law of God is bad and that they can do better. I received a, a, a letter this week from somebody who said, once we get rid of you lot, then we'll be able to create a much better world because we could do much better. It's never worked. It doesn't happen. And then and, and a most astonishing news item on Radio 4, which all intelligent people listen to, uh, Radio 4, uh, it was just an amazing news. I couldn't believe it, actually, what I was hearing, that the presenter was actually saying this. They're saying that the plays of Arthur Miller, one of them's uh, either been or just about to be down at the DCA, the plays of Arthur Miller are really in vogue in, in the United Kingdom at the moment, and in fact in the United States. Lots of them, The Crucible and Death of a Salesman and so on. Brilliant play playwright, fascinating character. And so they had this news discussion about why are the plays of Arthur Miller in vogue, and this is the conclusion they came up with. They came up with the conclusion that we live in a society that's confused and losing its way and doesn't have morals, and so we're looking to Arthur Miller to provide these for us. I thought, you are kidding me. Are you, you're, you're, are you being serious? Arthur Miller, the guy who was married to Marilyn Monroe, who left his wife and young children to marry Mar Marilyn Monroe. Arthur Miller, who left her and then married somebody else. That's who we're looking to for moral guidance and for absolute morals. Brilliant guy, very perceptive in lots of ways. Great plays. But that's where we've got to in our culture, where... People are seriously sitting around and discussing, we need the plays of Arthur Miller because we need some morality. The world hates God. The world hates God's law. The Christian, in fact, you know you're, you're getting somewhere as a Christian when you come not just to fear God's law, but to like it and to love it. Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. The Christian view is so different to the hatred. We see that God's law is good, that God's purposes are good. There are some people who think that to be a Christian is to be stoical, is to say, well, God's purposes are not good, but I have to accept them because they're God. Or, more subtly, they think God's purposes are good, but they're not good for me, and uh, you know, it's just such a pain, and I wish it, God hadn't said that, and I really wish that. And deep within inside yourself, you feel that there's something wrong and it's not with you. But when you begin to see that God's law is good, that God's purposes are good, that he wants us, what does he want? Well, he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be like Christ. Let me explain that. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. To which Paul, I think, had responded earlier in Romans 7, 6. Now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law 
so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I listened to someone this week on a podcast about how they were going to try and be a Christian for a year. Living as a Christian for a year, as I think was how he entitled it. Sorry, you can't do it. You can't do it. Because if it's just lifestyle, if it's just morality, you haven't grasped the heart of Christianity. God does not give us a set of detailed commands for us to follow in every single situation. Paul is going to look later on at the situation at work and with governments and with people who are weaker in the church and so on. And we don't get, and this is the foundation of that, we don't get a list of rules. This is what you do in A, B. You know what it's like um, situations in politics or at work. You've got a health and safety manual and it's really, really good and it's really intended well, but something goes wrong. So section A becomes section A1. And then you need section A12 and section A12A, section A12A, triple Z, whatever. You know, because you have to keep multiplying all the different rules to deal with all the different situations. But we are not algorithms and we are not computer programs. We are free thinking. We are loving human beings. And the state can't put us into a mold and school. You know, have you seen these horrific pictures of in, in North Korea when they, they do the gymnasts or the dancers and they're all exactly the same. And people admire it and go, no, I don't admire it at all. That's not the way that human beings are meant to be. But you'll notice that Paul doesn't just say, go with your heart, go with your feeling, let, you know, be whatever you want to be. Uh, I, I, I'd strongly advise you don't go with your heart. I don't want to go with my heart. My heart's corrupt and wicked and deceitful. No, no, don't go with that. What God does is he gets us to think and gives us his spirit and his word. His spirit works within us to change our hearts and minds from within so that our obedience to God becomes natural and spontaneous. God's word is the living word of God. That's why when you come and hear God's word, you are actually being transformed as God's spirit works within you. You were taught, says Paul in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's God's plan for you, not a robot, not some kind of pawn in a chess game. God's plan for you is to become like him and to become like Jesus Christ in righteousness and holiness. You have a problem, the world says, this is how we're going to deal with your problem. You have a problem, God says, remember who you are. This is the Christian. Remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you. And look at the place I have prepared for you. Look at the task I have for you. Look at the blessings I have for you. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There's an American preacher called Joel Austin, and he's a complete heretic. I, I would, I'd rather be an atheist than go to his church. It's an appalling doctrine that he teaches, and he uses the name of Jesus, and he uses the Bible occasionally. But it's appalling, but it's all about your better life now, and I'm going to help you feel good, and I'm going to make you feel good, and you're going to join in the worship, and you're going to do this, and you're not a sinner, you have no problems. 
And it's full of cliches. Round every corner is another opportunity and all that kind of stuff. And people lap it up and pay him millions to do it. I don't think it's positive at all. I think it lays burdens upon people. This is positive when God comes and says, remember who you are. Remember what I've done for you. Look at the place I've prepared for you. That's why Paul says in the words, the paraphrase of J.B. Phillips, don't let the world around squeeze you into its mold. And you, when tomorrow you're going to be pressurized at work. You're going to be pressurized through the media. You're going to be pressurized. Maybe sometimes you get pressurized in the church as well. And really God's saying, be a rebel. Be the real nonconformist. Now from that basis, Paul will go on, as we'll see, to talk about how this affects how we behave in the church, with our enemies, to the state, to the law, in terms of Christ's return, to the weaker members of Christ's body. But just get this right. Don't conform, be transformed. See, and the Christian also doesn't need to walk around with a poster saying, I'm not conforming, I'm not going with you lot. You just don't do it. It's as simple as that. You just don't do it. You just say, no, I'm not going there. Sorry. I, uh, um, I don't know if you watch Line of Duty. I'm not sure I'd recommend it in, in different ways, but for those of you who do, and by the smiles, I know the ones I can tell. You can talk to me afterwards. Um, but Line of Duty is basically uh, a program about corrupt police and finding out the corrupt police. And basically, every program goes on, it appears that every policeman's really corrupt. But there's one, and I, there was one line in, in an episode that I saw where the, you know, the bad gangsters from Liverpool were asking about this particular policeman. What's his vice? How can we get him? Is he a bent copper? And the response was, no. He appears totally straight. I don't think we can get him in any way. I just thought, it'd be great if you were a Christian, if the writer could put that in that you were a Christian. But um, that's what it should be like for us at work. Are we going to lie for somebody? No, I'm not going to do that because it's wrong. Are we going to mistreat people, even if we're instructed to, from our bosses? No, we're not going to do that. Are we going to cheat? Are we going to bully? No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because even if we lose our jobs, we don't care, because we don't conform to the pattern of this world. I'll tell you, that, that's what turns society upside down. Let me finish with this passage from 2 Corinthians 3. If the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now, what Paul is saying in, in his typical way is, you thought Moses was fantastic and glorious and people couldn't go into the temple and everything else. You ain't seen nothing yet because this is the, this is the glory of Christianity, the glory of Christ. Therefore, since we have such a hope, he says, we are very bold. We're not bold because we're powerful. We're not bold because we're trying to show off. We're bold because we know Jesus. We have this hope. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. 
but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away even to this day when Moses is read a veil covers their hearts but whenever anyone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed that's the word that's where it appears again we're being transformed. You remember the transformation with Jesus? His clothes shone, his face shone. There was a, a, a dramatic and translucent effect. And he's saying, when we grasp this, that's what happens. There's freedom. Our, our culture wants freedom, and it can't have it. And we've got it. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You want freedom? You follow Christ. You want hope? You follow Christ. You want glory? You follow Christ. I honestly believe that as Christians, we don't meditate and think enough and reflect enough upon the glory of Jesus and the glory of God because we're wanting all the side effects. We're wanting all the stuff that we experience. It's like seeking for happiness. People who are seeking for spiritual fulfillment, you can call it. Anna, one glimpse of Jesus, one glimpse of gl the glory of God the Father, one glimpse of the Holy Spirit. That's enough. That will transform you. It will transform your thinking. It will transform your life. So that tomorrow morning, people will go, what happened to you? What happened? I met with Jesus. I was on the mountain with Jesus. We know God's good, perfect, and pleasing way. Horatius Boner wrote a hymn, which one of the verses is this. Thy way, not mine, O Lord, however dark it be, lead me by thine own right hand. Choose out the path for me. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Think. Let your mind be renewed. Seek Christ, and all these things will be added to you. Lord, may your blessing be upon your word. Grant us that our minds would be renewed. Grant us that we would not conform to the pattern of this world transform us and may we know that your will is good pleasing and perfect there is not a dot of wickedness or sin or evil or capriciousness or wrongness in you you are pure and good and holy and perfect in every way enable us O oh lord